are listening to the Quest for Wholeness podcast, a biopsychosocial spiritual guide. If you're interested in the human experience, health, wholeness, and how everything is interconnected, then you are in the right place. In this show, we will explore the interconnected realms of health that lead to whole human beings. My name is Lexi Burt, and I'm passionate about holistic well-being, longevity, and I'm armed with an education in psychology. I'm so grateful to have you here with me. Welcome to a Quest for Wholeness podcast. Coming up on a Quest for Wholeness podcast. If you really want to feel appreciative of your body, just th- just sit down for one minute and just think about the miracle of all of the unconscious automatic processes that go on in your body every single day. Without your conscious control, your body just does it for you. Your red blood cells are transporting oxygen into all the tissues of your body. You don't have to think about it. It just does it. When you're walking, your brain is literally coordinating the hundreds and joints, the hundreds of joints and muscles in your body in a rhythmic, coordinated manner. You don't have to think about any of it. It just does it for you. When you, after you eat a meal, your intestines just assimilate all those nutrients and send it right to your tissues for recovery and growth. You don't have to think about any of it. And I feel like that is enough, more than enough of a reason to feel grateful that you have a body. Patrick Koo is a strength and conditioning coach and owner of PK Health and Performance. As a bookworm and physical activity junkie, Patrick draws on his lifetime of scrapes and successes as an athlete, his decade of experience as a strength and conditioning coach, and his education in kinesiology and psychology to help others find happiness through physical activity in all its forms and to guide others towards better health by reacquainting themselves with themselves. Pat draws on his understanding of body and mind to make sense of and simplify the impossibly broad topic that is health. You can find his most recent musings on health and performance at his website, pkhealth.ca, or his Instagram account at thoughtfulmeathead. Both of those are linked in the show notes. As a coach and public educator, his goal is to change the compartmentalized way we view health and movement and help us live in a more embodied, connected life. Remember Max from episode four? If you listen to his episode, you'll know his superpower is connecting people. And he's partially responsible for this episode today. So thanks, Max. Max connected me with Pat knowing we'd hit it off and had similar outlooks on health and well-being. It's been an honor to get to know Pat, the work he does, and his stories. I'm so excited to share this one with you guys. This episode touches on mental health, physical health, concussions, and psychedelics. A lot of what is talked about in this episode is the epitome of holistic health, how our mindset affects our gut health, post-concussion symptoms are exacerbated by anxiety, and how to practice living in our bodies, not just from the neck up. Here we go with Pat Koo. Hey, Pat, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm so excited, so I think we'll just jump straight in. Um, In our pre-show chat, we talked a little bit about your uh, perspective of how people exist in their bodies and live in the world, and specifically from the neck up. So do you want to share a little bit more about that with us? Yeah, for sure. I think um, there is a trend of people becoming more and more disconnected from their bodies with things like social media and the internet and just how sedentary the population is becoming to the point where we as an organism with arms and legs and organs and all this stuff, we don't pay attention to anything from the neck down. We're not aware of our body. We're not aware of how our body feels. We're not aware of our movements. We're not aware of sensations. And really the only sensory input that we're receiving is from the neck up. So we are consuming things through our eyes. We're listening to podcasts. We are uh, watching TV. Um, We're sitting in chairs oftentimes as we do it. And and not that there's anything wrong with sitting, but, um, but yeah, just as an example, that's how we are living from the neck up. And I feel like this chronic disconnection 
from what's going on from the neck down is a primary thing we should address if we are to turn the ship around in terms of the health of our population. Hmm. That is a lot to uh, chew on there. So, um, how tell us a little bit about the people that you work with and even in your own life how you see how you see that coming up and i guess maybe ways that you counteract living just from the neck up in your day-to-day life like how do you how do you embody your body again once you've been conditioned and and lived this way for so long um i think there are a lot of like little lifestyle tips that uh, you could throw in there, like go for a walk every day, maybe do like a body scan meditation every day. But all of that stuff is like peanuts compared to just having a regular old daily exercise routine, right? Because at the very least, if for 23 hours of the day, you are living from the neck up and you are disconnected from your body, okay, can we at least have one hour out of every day where we are working out, quote unquote, working out, we're working our heart, we're working our muscles, we're breathing heavy, But while you're doing that, can you really tune in to what is going on in your body? And then hopefully that hour will leak or trickle down into the rest of your day. Um, So super simple answer. Just get into a basic exercise routine. And then after that, once you're consistent with that, then we can talk about adding all the little bonus things like body scan meditations and daily walks and whatnot. I love that. And I think you said to me before something along the lines of using that hour for exercise to actually be connected with your body, right? Of course, you want to go hard and push yourself. But if you're actually, as you mentioned, connecting to the muscle that you're exercising or like the way that your body is twisting, if you're doing yoga or something that I think that's just like, I've been thinking about that the last week since we've talked and when I've been exercising, just like, okay, how can I really connect with my body right now and have that as the focus for my workout? For sure. So I've got a couple uh, real general tips to help people who are listening dial into their bodies when they're working out. So um, when you are doing your cardio, Real easy thing to pick up in terms of body awareness is how are you breathing? Are you breathing in through the nose? Are you breathing out through the mouth? Are you breathing just in and out through the mouth? Are you breathing just in and out through the nose? And Mm. the reason why I'm saying, are you doing this? Are you doing that? It's there is no right or wrong way to do it. You're just paying attention. Right. So you don't want to get into that mindset of like, oh, am I doing this right or wrong? Am I am I supposed to be just breathing through my nose? Am I? Oh, God, I'm breathing out through my mouth like I must be doing it wrong. And then you get into your head again. So the big thing is just you're just paying attention to your breathing. What's the rhythm of your breathing? What's the cadence of your breathing? Where is the air leap? Which holes is the air leaving your mouth or your nose? Right. So that's like the cardio piece. Right. And let's say you're lifting weights. Real easy one that I get all my clients to do is let's say you are doing some kind of lower body exercise, squats, let's say. Feel where your foot pressures are. Your foot is a big piece of your body with a lot of sensory input. Are you familiar with uh, the concept of the motor homunculus or the sensory motor homunculus? Yes, I've seen it a couple times in textbooks. It's that really funky drawing of the body, right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe so you can like explain. Yeah, for sure. It's like the body is like sensory motor representation of where your body or how much sensation is, how much brain space is devoted to the sensation of each part of your body. So obviously the very sensitive parts of your body, your lips, your tongue, your genitals, your hands and your feet have the biggest amount of real estate in your brain because those are the parts that are going to need to take in a lot of sensory input in order for you to move about the world well. So that's why I always go to, let's say you're, again, going back to the lower body lift, you're doing squats, pay attention to your foot pressure. Is the weight in your heels? Is it closer to your toes? Is it closer to the outside edges of your foot? Is it closer to the inside edges of your foot? When you are pressing your feet down into the floor, as you say, come up from the squat, can you feel the bottom of your foot smushing down and collapsing and melting into the floor? Um, So number one, pay attention to your foot pressures when you're doing your lower body lifts. Number two, pay attention to your hand pressures when you're doing your upper body lifts, right? Let's say you are doing, um, 
I don't know, push-ups. Let's say you're doing push-ups. It's the same thing as with your feet on the floor with squats. When you're doing your push-ups, is the weight on the heel of your palm? Is it on the outside edges of your hand? Is it on the inside edges of your hand? Is it closer to the fingers? Is it closer to the heel? Um, and once again, with all of these things that you're trying to pay attention to, there's no right or wrong. You're just trying to tune into sensation. So those are three big things that I constantly am kind of getting my clients to focus on as they are exercising, training, working out. I love that. And what I'm hearing you say, and I'm glad that you've reiterated it too, is that this is non-judgmental observation. This isn't saying you should be doing something different, judging the movements that you're making. It's connecting with yourself and just simply being an observer, right? Then there's all those specific tips and tricks and techniques for exercises, right? But when we're just talking about cultivating that brain-body connection, it's just simply observing. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, just get into a workout routine, just an hour a day. And as we both know, that can be a challenge for a lot of people. But I think it's really beautiful if we're taking it from this perspective of just simple, non-judgmental awareness of movement, right? Not, I need to do this because I have to, but you get to, right? You get to have this moment with yourself. And that's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I think you mentioned we might dive into this a little bit, a little bit later into the podcast. But yeah, I had an experience where I was legitimately disabled for like a year and a half, could not do anything, couldn't walk, couldn't drive, couldn't exercise, couldn't do anything. So it's unfortunate that sometimes we have to get to that point where all our health is taken away from us to, in order to appreciate the fact that, yeah, one hour of working out a day is the biggest privilege ever. It's amazing. It feels so goddamn good. Um, unfortunately, I guess the way our brains work, um, sometimes shit has to really hit the fan in order, us to f- in order for us to feel appreciative of having a body. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. It's not a I should, it's a I get to. And I think this is something that you and I have talked about and that I'm pretty interested in exploring too and, and educating other people on is how to cultivate that appreciation before it's taken away, right? Because as you mentioned, you've had that experience where you were disabled. I as well have had um, situations with endometriosis where I'm in so much physical pain that I can't even walk. I can't even move. I can't even stretch. And that was the realization for me, like, oh, shit. The simple act of walking around the block is something I want to have for the rest of my life. I never want that to be taken from me. So it's important to learn how we can grow that gratitude while we have it. And I would love for you to just jump into the story that you already brought up about your experiences. And uh, yeah, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Let me say one thing about the gratitude thing, though. Like, I know uh, probably in the space that we're both in, uh, there's a lot of talk about gratitude journaling and make a list of five things that you're appreciative of every morning. And those are great. Those are absolutely fantastic. But like, if you really want to feel appreciative of your body, just just sit down for one minute and just think about the miracle of all of the unconscious automatic processes that go on in your body every single day. Without your conscious control, your body just does it for you. Your red blood cells are transporting oxygen into all the tissues of your body. You don't have to think about it. It just does it. When you're walking, your brain is literally coordinating the hundreds and joints, the hundreds of joints and muscles in your body in a rhythmic, coordinated manner. You don't have to think about any of it. It just does it for you. When you, after you eat a meal, your intestines just assimilate all those nutrients and send it right to your tissues for recovery and growth. You don't have to think about any of it. And I feel like that is enough, more than enough of a reason to feel grateful that you have a body. Um, and as a matter of fact, like in my gym right now, like I got um, over there, I just have a big, in big capital letters, entitlement cross it out because I really feel like like when you are living like a very sedentary life or you're not taking care of your health or your body as you should like that's a pretty entitled attitude to have to just think that your body's just always going to be there for you you know that it's just that it's just there at your will and command that it's like your slave and you do zero to to actually nurture and take care of it it's a pretty entitled thing to do 
Mm, mm. Well said. Full stop, really. And I just, I wonder, now that you said that, I was just thinking, as we have already kind of been mentioning, it's usually when someone gets sick, there's an illness or this significant change in their quality of life that they come to have a deeper respect for their body. So I just, I guess, I wonder what your thoughts are on on kind of going against that entitlement. I, I'm assuming that along the lines of, you know, gaining kind of um, awareness of your body, but how can, if people have never been through something significant where they've lost some ability or something has changed their lives, how, like, wh- why should they not be entitled, I guess? If someone has never been injured or suffered a severe health issue why should they not be entitled that's the question yeah yeah because sooner or later sooner rather than later if you continue on the path of not taking care of your body and continuing to live from the neck up you will without a doubt encounter some kind of injury or chronic health condition Um, and you can get ahead of it now or you can wait until you get clapped to address it, which is way harder. Um, I mean, it's not an easy, it's not the easiest answer. (laughs) No, no. But that is the answer. Yeah. And I don't think there's any easy answer and this is going to look different for many different people, but it's a, it's an important thing to think about. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, sorry. So to loop back to your original question, like, um, two big things that happened in my life that really made me grateful for the opportunity to move my body every single day is number one, I've been dealing with like severe IBS where for around six years, ah, for the better part of three years, it was really bad to the point where I was vomiting every single day. I could not hold in food. Um, So I was rapidly losing weight. I couldn't really train properly, couldn't really recover properly. I was always so bloated that the food was pushing up out of the other end. And thus I would vomit every day. Um, And that I went down the whole rabbit hole of went through the whole healthcare system and tried to figure out the, the issue. And finally I've got it addressed now. And so something like that, where it's now I really am grateful for my digestive system and the things that it does for me. And I'm really on top of my nutrition because a life where you can't digest things and a life where you're rapidly losing weight because you can't absorb nutrients sucks. And I would way rather trade a couple slices of cake and a couple cookies here and there and instead eat quote unquote healthfully um, so that my organ systems work properly because that is the most important thing. When you have such an important organ system like your gastrointestinal system taken away, you really do understand the importance of nutrition, for example. And then now on the, uh, in a similar vein, three years ago, I fractured my skull while snowboarding and the concussion was the last concussion I've had in a series of head injuries that I've suffered through my teenage and early adult years. But this was the worst one. Fractured my skull. There's scar tissue in uh, in an MRI. It showed that there was like scar tissue in my frontal lobe now. And with that injury, I fell into a year and a half-ish period of severe physical disability where I couldn't walk without triggering a migraine. I couldn't drive without triggering a migraine. I definitely couldn't lift weights or exercise without triggering a migraine because the increase in blood pressure would just cause the biggest headaches Um, and so now that I'm over that as well, every day that I get to exercise is beautiful. Like going for a walk is the best thing ever. Um, and once again, it's just, I'm actually kind of bummed out at myself that I'm, I wasn't as grateful now, um, that back then I wasn't as grateful as I am now for, for my body. But, but again, that's just how it is. Sometimes you got to let things get real bad before, before uh, you get your head straight. Yeah. I mean, wow. There's so many pieces there that I want to jump into, but I just want to go back to what you were saying about the IBS. So I know 
um, you kind of followed the traditional medical trajectory. Did that help you understand what was going on? Or like, what did what did that process of healing and getting to the root of it look like? Yeah, there was definitely it did not help my understanding of the root cause at all. And as a matter of fact, it likely made things worse because I went through a whole slew of doctors and specialists who would prescribe me things from like nose, intranasal nose sprays because they thought the problem was like in my sinuses, which it wasn't. And then that caused severe damage in my sinuses, like to the point where I still like I sneeze like 20 times every day because of the damage that these like steroid sprays did to my uh, the lining of my sinuses. Um, and then other doctors would put me on things called PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, which are basically like extreme, like medical grade comes um, in order to alleviate what they thought was heartburn. Um, and that made things worse because turns out, as I would talk to other health professionals that I really trust and I did my own research, turns out when you take antacids for a stomach problem or a digestive uh, problem, uh, you're making things so much worse because you are now reducing the amount of acid in your stomach and you need that acid in order to properly break down foods so that they can go into your intestines and be absorbed into your bloodstream. Um, when you are taking things like PPIs, it essentially is another added piece to turning off your entire digestive system. Um, and so all of these things are just a couple examples of what, of how the, healthcare system in Canada as it stands kind of failed me. And I don't want to put too much blame on the system because it is not the fault of any one practitioner. It's kind of how the system is. Um, and this podcast should not be about us just complaining about the healthcare system. It is the way it is. But the important thing to know is that with the way that it is, it is still your responsibility to understand how to navigate the healthcare system properly to get the care that you need. Mm, which can be, as we both know, a, a pretty big challenge, like advocating for yourself and um, doing the research to figure out what they're get, what even they're giving you, right? Because I feel like a lot of times patients aren't given the time and space, and maybe that's also because of the way the system is and the time crunch but we're not educated and informed on what we're taking, which to me is a huge problem. Massive problem. Massive problem. Um, yeah, I mean, same thing happened with my concussions, right? Like they were trying to put me on antidepressants, which when you do your own research, you start understanding that these antidepressants that they're trying to give you for headaches, so off-label use, um, can result in things like suicidal ideation and sexual dysfunction and joint pain and dizziness and all of these things that are basically concussion symptoms. And they're trying to treat the concussion symptoms by giving you more concussion symptoms uh, or so it seems. Um, so yeah, I fully agree with you. It is totally the most important thing um, that you can do uh, is to advocate for yourself and not take doctor's advice uh, at face value and to do your own research with these things. Well, 100%. And I think on the other side of this too, we're so fortunate to be able to have a, a public healthcare system like we do in Canada. So let's like give, give a shout out to that. And agreed, also agreed. there are like medications. Said, yeah, yeah, for sure. There's two sides of this, right? You can be grateful and critical at the same time, which, which is a good space to be in, right? We don't just want to blindly follow. Yes. And the last thing I wanted to mention was that some of these medications do work for people, right? And sometimes you need to see what works best for you. So that's that's another important piece too, right? Absolutely. I guess uh, it really all just boils down to this, which is just make sure you're making informed decisions. That's all. Mm. That, is, that is it. That is it. Yep. And if you feel like the decision that doctors are making for you uh, are incorrect, then get a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion, a fifth opinion. But you just got to keep hammering until you get the until you get the treatment that you need. That's right. So before we jump into the concussion stuff, which is huge, I I want to go back. Last piece on the IBS thing is what was your what what was going on with you? How did you heal that? How did how did you, as an informed patient, get to the root cause of that issue and begin to heal? Um, well, first of all, you have to when things are so bad, like when the health issue has 
And here's another lesson that I really should uh, talk about, which is that that whole debacle with the IBS is completely my fault. I have, before that, I had been feeling the warning signs of poor digestion, uh, rapid weight loss, uh, extreme bloating, uh, heartburn, all of these things. I had been feeling that for years and years, but I never bothered to pay attention to the check engine light that my body was giving me, right? So all of this is completely my fault. Um, but I let it get so bad that, again, I was vomiting every day for a couple of years. Um, and so when it's that bad, first of all, you do have to go to some Band-Aid solutions just so that you can get some immediate relief. So those Band-Aid solutions included things like taking activated charcoal uh, in pill form, which I do not, I'm not recommending this to anybody. Um, uh, and things like taking like several different strains of probiotic, probiotics to get my bloating down, taking things like uh, herbal antibiotics that would uh kill off a lot of the quote-unquote bad bacteria that was causing a lot of the bloating and gastrointestinal issues. So number one, you just manage the symptoms as best you can. But number two, you got to figure out what the root cause was. And the root cause for me was a lifetime, especially in my teenage and early adult years, a lifetime of just autonomic dysregulation, which um, for those that don't know, it's, it's essentially, it's an umbrella term to describe when you are stuck in this fight or flight state, you're chronically stressed, you're chronically overworked, you are unable to get yourself back down to a rest and digest or a parasympathetic state. And when that continues for long enough, then all of the rest and digest processes of your body, like your gastrointestinal system, start to shut down and you get real severe health problems. Um, so that was the root cause of it. And it really, um, in order to fix my gut, permanently it required a lot of deep inner work of understanding why i was such a crazy person as a teenager in my early adult years like working 40 hour weeks going to school for 40 hours a week and then training for like another 10 20 hours a week drinking six seven cups of coffee a day just holding myself up with stimulants um yeah, it really took a lot of like deep inner work to figure out why I was such a crazy person and why I let my health get that bad by not, again, not paying attention to the check engine light when my body was giving me those signals. Whoa. And I think where I'm coming from with this podcast and what we're always trying to bring it back to is that all of these pieces are interconnected. And if we have some sort of, um, you know, imbalance in one area, that's going to affect the other area. And that's what I was hearing with you is your lifestyle was really driving these symptoms. But as you mentioned, that takes some, that takes some guts to look at yourself pretty deeply and be like, how, what am I actually doing to myself? You know, that's, it's huge. It's not, it's not easy work. It is. Yeah. It's, it is not easy work at all, especially when, yeah, your ego doesn't want it to be your fault. Your ego mm. doesn't ever want it to be your fault, but with any chronic condition, it's always going to be at least a little bit your fault. And the parts that are your fault are the controllable factors. And when you're navigating any kind of health crisis, the biggest thing is to not focus on the factors that you can't control and to focus on the ones that you can control. And in order to control the ones that you can control, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and figure out what you are actually doing wrong. So you went through kind of the traditional medical conveyor belt that is recommended for IBS or, or these GI issues that you were experiencing. And it turns out that, you know, it was a lot of lifestyle driven things. So is that something that you came to on your own, like through your own research, or was there other supports or different modalities that you tried that kind of led you to this understanding? Oh, there were certainly other supports. Um, for one, I went to see a few uh, naturopaths, which can be hit or miss, which can be hit yes. or miss. Uh, I'm sure you know. Uh, some naturopaths get really woo-woo with it, um, which is not the best, but others really have a great understanding, as you said, of holistic health, of how an imbalance in one aspect of the system can have knock-on effects on a completely seemingly unrelated part of the system. So as an example, my 
chronic stress or my um, insomnia or even my past concussion history, it turns out, was a huge influence on me vomiting every day. Um, so these seemingly unrelated pieces of your health are totally connected, as you said. And um, with the help of a great naturopath, shout out to Drew Jameson. Um, he helped me figure all of this out, as well as my lovely girlfriend, who is a registered dietitian, um, helped me figure a lot of the dietary aspect of it out. Wow. Yeah. So see, again, the medical system is important and there's so many good things, but I think there's other pieces that we sometimes don't even know about, right? Like when we're going through these things, we don't even know that a naturopath or, or I, our diet could be involved in our symptoms this way. So it's, it's always food for thought, right? Just thinking about what other pieces might be contributing to um, your experience. And, and you mentioned that even the concu past concussions might have been playing a part into this. So just to get us on the timeline. So you were having these really significant GI issues. You kind of go through the medical system and then you're kind of on your own alternative path to your own healing. And then you're good for a while. And then you had this last concussion. Yeah, I was kind of good for a while with my gut. Like when I got that concussion, I was still, I was still suffering quite a bit. Uh, but I was, let's say, 50% function. And this all ties in because I want to connect every, connect all the dots. So when I got the concussion, part of the reason why my post-concussion symptoms were so bad was obviously because of how severe the actual uh, impact was, but also because anxiety and depression and certain mood disorders can exponentially make post-concussion symptoms worse because post-concussion symptoms are in a nutshell symptoms that are created by the nervous system and if your nervous system is already wound the fuck up with anxiety then of course your headaches are going to be way worse your dizziness is going to be way worse your blurry vision is going to be way worse and the way this ties into the nutrition piece is that, and I know this now because my gut is fully functioning, so I can feel the difference. But back then when I had that concussion, my, my stomach and my intestines were still really struggling. And with the gut-brain connection or the gut-mood connection, you can call it, I was still living in this chronic state of anxiety because when your gut isn't feeling good, it's going to have real knock-on effects to your mood. So, so yeah, in a nutshell, like one health issue led to the next, interacted with the next one and made things so much worse. Um, but it's also cool to break it down now to kind of figure out how all the pieces kind of uh, played together how the dots connect. Yeah. And I, what I'm hearing from you, you've been like the lead investigator kind of in your health experience. You've been researching and, and learning different things. And now you're seeing kind of that puzzle, the case come together and can kind of have, you know, a hindsight review of what was going on, which I think is a pretty cool, unfortunate things to happen, but a pretty cool space to move forward into your life from. For sure. All of those things, uh, all of those like issues and struggles and, and hardships uh, is only a tragedy if you don't learn from it. Right. So now I am reflecting on it. I have learned from it. And so now it's not a tragedy. It's just at worst, it's a comedy because it was kind of mm. funny how fucked up I was for how long. <laughs> so, I want to talk a little bit more about that last concussion because you had mentioned you had a series of concussions, but this last one really landed you in a pretty messed up space. So if you could share with the listeners, what, what was life like for you at that point in time? Yeah, for sure. So the first three months of recovery were really rough. Uh, I remember... <laughs> I still remember uh, the first week after getting my skull smashed in, uh, after I had been discharged from the hospital, 
I would be eating dinner on the floor and I would be trying to coordinate, like putting the spoon towards my mouth. So like the coordination was off the, my, my, I was living with constant double vision and I would be rubbing my eyes uh, all the time to try to make it go away. But no, chronic double vision, chronic migraines, tension, headaches, my gut symptoms got worse because again, whatever affects the brain negatively is going to for sure negatively affect the gut as well, which meant that my mood was worse and my sleep was worse. And of course the worst part of all of it was that I was physically disabled. I couldn't walk without triggering a headache. Every time my heel would plant on the ground, if I were to try and walk, I would feel that reverberation of the impact travel up into my skull and it would trigger, trigger a gnarly um, a gnarly headache. Um, and then the last part, which was arguably just as bad, was just the memory loss. I remember uh, about a year and a half after the injury, you know, when you got to sign in to uh, do your taxes, Canadian, as a Canadian, like you got to go to the yeah. CRA website and then they send yeah. you that six digit code that to like verify that it's you. So I was doing like tax stuff and they sent me this code and then I read it on my phone and I was like, okay, six, two, eight, seven, two, one, six, two, eight, seven, two, one. Then I typed it on the computer and I was like, dude, I remembered six digits. Let's go. Like... So like, that's how bad the memory was for like a year and a half. It was so bad that like, once I was able to like, remember a six digit code, I was like, it was cause for celebration. Um, so, so yeah. And then, and then throughout that whole process, I was seeing three different neurologists, a couple different GPs, um, concussion specialists, like vestibular therapists and vision therapists and stuff like that. And uh, really just trying to manage my symptoms through all of these different healthcare professionals. And nothing was really working at all. I kind of was stuck in this state of like chronic just disability and pain. Um, and similar to the gut stuff, it wasn't until I started connecting all of the dots together um, and really understanding my mind better and my brain better. Uh, that I started to see some positive results in my recovery. So again, do you think that awareness that you had kind of gone through previously with, you know, looking at these different peripheral pieces that are playing into your experience, do you think partly it was that that helped you kind of come to that awareness during your concussion symptoms in combination with the specialist you were seeing, like, was there a lot of support there to cultivate that awareness for yourself? No, not really, because the way that the healthcare system still treats concussions is very outdated. Um, all of my, all of the healthcare professionals I was working with were telling me to Try your best to exercise every day in whatever capacity that you can. Try to consume an anti-inflammatory diet, whole foods diet, essentially. Drink lots of water. Make sure your sleep hygiene is on point. Make sure you're still hanging out with your friends and family, right? Social relationships are important. So all of those pieces of advice are spot on, fantastic. But the missing piece was, and this is why the healthcare system, I feel like is still very behind in terms of treating concussions. The missing piece was the understanding that if you are still experiencing these chronic concussion symptoms, and it's not a blanket statement, right? It's not black or white. Like sometimes concussion symptoms just stay with you forever, depending on how severe the actual brain damage is. But for a large majority of cases, post-concussion symptoms that persist for more than three months have nothing to do with your brain needing to heal itself more to repair the damage that has been done. And it's got everything to do with desensitizing yourself to all of these stimuli that are now too intense for your brain to process that now cause your brain to freak out because it thinks that 
oh, if I, if I see this bright light and it triggers a headache, that's my brain protecting me because it thinks that another concussion is coming. If I am walking or driving and I feel these little vibrations in the road or I feel the vibration when my foot is stepping into, into the ground and I feel the, it come up into my brain, that is my brain protecting me from getting another concussion. So it's almost like a somatic, like a body-based PTSD where I've had so many concussions that life was triggering just all of life was triggering and how did it trigger me well the symptoms that it gave me in order to stop the things that i was doing so that i could stay quote-unquote safe was headaches blurry vision migraines memory loss indigestion insomnia mood swings etc so that was the missing piece and i think what i just thought of there when you mentioned that was before you had said you know if your nervous system is already in such a delicate state of being so activated in this stress response for so long, then getting a concussion and the symptoms are going to be a lot worse. So what I'm hearing you say now is that a lot of that was kind of nervous system based symptoms, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and it makes even more sense when you kind of just like, we always like to and there's good reason to do it, but we always like to categorize anxiety disorders in their neat little boxes, OCD, PTSD, generalized anxiety disorder, phobias. We, we like to categorize them and put them neatly away. But at the end of the day, anxiety is anxiety. And the way that it manifests is going to be unique to each individual. Um, so it's interesting to think about the concept that post-concussion symptoms are essentially, for most people, again, I, we cannot say that is for all people, but for most people, chronic post-concussion symptoms are almost a form of anxiety disorder. Mm. The headaches, the migraines, the dizziness, all of that stuff is... And there's research out there that that kind of lines all of this up. And if 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 listeners want to really dive into the rabbit hole, um, I learned all of this. And the guy who I fully credit with no exaggeration that this guy saved my life um, where I learned all of this stuff from is a guy named Dr. Cameron Marshall, who uh, actually practices out of Toronto, I believe. And uh, he is the CEO of a clinic called Complete Concussions Management. Um which provides education to healthcare practitioners who work with concussion patients, as well as uh, they are their own clinic as well. So if anyone. Yeah. Wants- so I actually just found out that he does a lot of research with the uh, brain injury clinic here in Calgary, based out of uh, university of Calgary too. It's because after you mentioned uh, him, I went and looked him up. So that's a really great resource. And I'll uh, put the link to uh, Dr. Marshall's, uh, website in the show notes for listeners to easily access too. So you get all this information and, and I want to mention too, these uh, post concussion symptoms for you lasted over a year. Was that right? Yeah. So that's pretty significant chunk of your life. So you get all this education and information from uh, Dr. Marshall. What was the turning point for you? What really shifted these symptoms and brought you back into regular life again? The turning point was a couple of things. Number one was coming across Dr. Marshall's work and how he amalgamates all of the current research and literature on concussions into this working model of what concussion symptoms are and how to get rid of them. And so learning that, again, concussion symptoms are essentially for most people who experience these persistently, for most people, it's a type of anxiety disorder. And it doesn't mean that you are weak in any way. It's because your brain is trying to protect you from another concussion. Your brain, you're, the only job of your brain is just to keep you alive. And so if you've gotten knocked in the head a few times, like I did, Uh, capped off with a really big concussion, then of course your brain is going to think that all of life, in all of life, when I'm walking, when there's a bright light in my face, when there's loud noises, all of that might mean that another concussion is coming. 
And so what does it do? Then it creates all of these symptoms to stop me in my tracks and stop whatever it is that I'm doing so that I don't actually get another concussion. Did my brain go a little bit overboard? My brain a little bit extra in that, in that, uh, in that way? Yeah, for sure. But, but, but that's just kind of how your nervous system works. It all, it, it tends to overcorrect for things. Um, and so truly understanding the mechanism by which I was experiencing all of these symptoms immediately brought a significant reduction in my symptoms because it reduced my anxiety around the symptoms. Because instead of every time the headache would come on or the migraine would come on, the internal dialogue would not be, oh my God, this is like, I'm a year and a half into this. Here's another migraine. Today's migraine is worse than yesterday's migraine. So this must mean that I'm going to have these symptoms for life. I've had so much brain damage. The MRI shows that I have scar tissue in my frontal lobe. I'm fucked for life. And then you just spiral into more anxiety, which then causes more concussion symptoms, which then causes more anxiety, which then causes more concussion symptoms. So understanding that helped prevent me from spiraling not out of control, but spiraling into worse and worse symptoms as time went on. Number two, what really changed the game for me was Dr. Marshall's framework of the concussion recovery pyramid, which, I mean, he calls it the concussion recovery pyramid, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is a pyramid that everybody should memorize because it is kind of the framework by which you successfully and permanently get rid of most health issues. So the concussion pyramid is the base of the pyramid is mindfulness and nervous system regulation. So mindfulness meaning, can you pay attention to thoughts, sensations, behaviors, as you said at the beginning of the podcast, without judgment, in a non-judgmental attitude, can you just be mindful? That's important because when you start judging things and freaking out about things, you spiral out of control. Nervous system regulation are tools and tactics that get you to go from a fight or flight response to a rest and digest or a parasympathetic response. So breathing exercises, hanging out with friends and family, um, gargling water in your throat. Uh, these are all like little like hacks and little techniques that you can do. Um, uh, getting enough sleep is obviously a huge one. Uh, meditation. Um, so that's the second piece. So the base of the pyramid, mindfulness and nervous system regulation. Then the middle part of the piece, the one level up is your general health habits. Exercise every day. Whole foods diet. Hydration. Sleep hygiene. Things like that. Then the top of the pyramid is things that you would do for your specific rehab, going to a visual therapist, a vestibular therapist, a concussion specialist, maybe an RMT to, 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 to massage out your neck and maybe try to get rid of some tension headaches. So where I went wrong and where the entire healthcare system is wrong in concussion management is that we only have the, the, the top two layers we only have the top two layers, which is why all my healthcare professionals that were helping me get over my concussion were giving me the right advice. It's not wrong to say, try to exercise every day, try to make sure your nutrition's on point, try to get your sleep hygiene on point, and then go see all the specialists. They're not wrong in saying that, but the missing piece is the mindfulness. Because when you go to do those uh, specialized forms of rehab, let's say I go to do uh, vision therapy. And my vision therapist is making me do all of these exercises where I got to flick my eyes back and forth and I got to track objects with my gaze and things like that. But then I start to feel all of my, cause I'm straining my brain. So I feel all of those concussion symptoms start to worsen as I'm doing those eye exercises. The headache goes out of control, like an eight out of 10 headache. I start to get dizzy, like a seven out of 10 dizziness. Then without the mindfulness and without the autonomic regulation, I just keep spiraling until those symptoms get worse and worse and worse and worse. And by that point, the rehab that I was trying to do actually made me worse because I didn't have the foundation of the pyramid on point. I wasn't starting my rehab journey or I wasn't prioritizing as the most important thing that you could do to fix any kind of health issue, especially concussions. I was not prioritizing mindfulness and nervous system regulation. Um, 
it's like the structure wasn't there for you to receive this specialized care. That's a perfect, that's a perfect way to put it because you, yeah, the mindfulness and the nervous system regulation puts you in a state where you can actually now benefit from the nutrition and the exercise and the specialized uh, rehab things. But without the mindfulness piece, you're kind of stuck in this really rigid, chronically in pain, super anxious state to where no rehab things or no uh, 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 health habits are going to make you any better. Right, right. And before we kind of wrap up here too, I want you to talk a little bit about your experience with psychedelics and specifically how this relates to uh, like healing your uh, concussion symptoms too. Yeah, absolutely. So like big into big into psychedelics. First of all, it's not for everybody, right? It's definitely not for everybody. And it's definitely not a panacea, but super helpful. Got into psychedelics when I was 14 years old, did a big mushrooms trip. And then I realized that oh, the only thing I have control over is my mind and my body, which then sent me down the rabbit hole of becoming a strength and conditioning coach for 10 years. Anyways, love psychedelics, the best. Um, <laughs> but the way that it helped my concussion specifically is that, for listeners that don't know, as a general statement, psychedelics help you open up a window of opportunity where you are more neuroplastic. So where you can make more changes faster and more effectively in the way that your brain is wired. It also helps you become a lot more mindful because it opens up your awareness of everything, of your thoughts, feelings, emotions, bodily sensations, everything like that. So with those two things, those two big benefits of psychedelics, and with this newfound understanding of Dr. Marshall's work, I then decided to do a big five-gram mushrooms trip. And at that point, my function, let's call it, was at maybe like 20%. Still could barely walk without pain. Still couldn't drive. Still had blurry vision. But it had went from 0% to 20% after just learning and practicing all of the autonomic regulation and the mindfulness and all of that stuff. And after a week of going from 0 to 20%, I'm like, hey, now I have a real clear understanding of this framework for why I'm having these concussion symptoms and how I'm going to get rid of them. Because the way you get rid of them is to, just like with any kind of therapy with phobias or anxiety disorders, the only way out is through. So you just have to expose yourself to these triggering stimuli to slowly desensitize yourself to them so that ultimately they don't become triggering at all and you can just live a normal life. So I had all of these frameworks in my mind and I decided to take a five gram mushroom trip to really blast open that window of neuroplasticity and to make me as mindful as possible. It was a extremely intense trip. One of the most intense psychedelic trips in my life. Um, not the most comfortable as a lot of big psychedelic trips are. Um, but what came out of it was that it changed my brain and the ch- it changed the way that I was interfacing with the external environment so much that the day after I went from like 20% function in one day after having been disabled, fully disabled for a year and a half in one day, I went from 20% function to like 80% function because it got rid of all of those, whatever you want to call them, self-limiting beliefs, anxieties, worries, uh, 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 automatic thought patterns, automatic emotional loops it got rid of all that stuff so that I could start at ground zero and kind of set myself up with a new baseline to sort out how my brain responds to external stimuli. Um, so yeah, it was a really cool experience. It was, it was, it was the most beneficial psychedelic experience I've ever had. And I guess uh, just for disclaimer here, right. We live in Canada. Uh, psychedelics are technically illegal. So, um, you know, be safe. Make sure you know where you're getting your things from. And they're also not for anybody. And make sure that you have good supports around you, that you're safe, um, because there's lots of different responses that can happen when people take psychedelics. So just disclaimer out there for anyone listening, these these things aren't really to be messed with, right? And there's, there's a, a, a yeah, special caution that needs to be taken. 
when you're messing around with things like this. For sure. And to add to that, like, that's a pretty broad, um, like words of advice, be careful, be, uh, make sure you're doing this in an informed way, but very specifically to be safe with psychedelics, a good heuristic to use is the four S's screening set setting, and then support. So screening is make sure if you, if you are going to do these things, which I mean, I'm not recommending they're not for everybody, but if you are going to make sure you screen yourself, family history of schizophrenia, if you have that, Definitely don't do psychedelics. Uh, set. Make sure you're going into your psychedelic trip with a good mindset. Does good mindset mean that you're necessarily in a, in a positive, happy place? No, not really. But by mindset, I mean, like, go into it with, in a mindful way, right? Where you're in a non-judgmental, beginner's mind, accepting of all the things that come into your psychedelic trip kind of way. So that's the second S, mindset. The third S is setting definitely don't do it at a rave if you're trying to do this like medicinally you know like definitely don't do it at a house party make sure you're in a safe setting with people that you feel safe around um so that you can have the best possible or maybe not the the most productive trip and then the last one is support so you every psychedelic trip will come with a lot of lessons a lot of intense experience and the way that you actually use those experiences to improve your life is to break it down with a trusted friend or family member or even counselor afterwards, break down the trip, figure out what the learning lessons are and figure out a game plan as to how you are going to implement those learnings into your life so that you can improve your life. So super quick on that. That's how you be safe with, that's how you can be safe with psychedelics, practice the four S's screening set setting support thank you so much for bringing that up too that is a good good uh rule to go into and 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 plan this out so as we kind of wrap up here what piece of wisdom can you offer our listeners as they embark on their quest for wholeness i think the big one is and kind of um we're talking about it pretty much this whole time but when your body is giving you warning signals, when your body is unhappy with the way that you are living your lifestyle, stop sending your body to voicemail. Your body's already left you 27 messages. It's been trying to get a hold of you on WhatsApp, on Instagram DMs, on Facebook Messenger. You keep shoving it aside. Listen to your body. Pay attention to the warning signs. If you see the check engine light, address it because... If you don't, your problems are just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's very broad advice. So it's like, how do you pay attention to the check engine light? How do you not leave your body on voice to set? How do you not send your body to voicemail? Well, to the very first thing that we talked about in the podcast, figure out a way to cultivate more body awareness. And it all starts with exercise, right? It's the, not here on this podcast to give like, here are the 10 little hacks that you can do to improve your body. <laughs> no, it's just one simple thing. Start with exercising every day. Use that time that you're exercising, not as a way to necessarily burn calories or, 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 or shed fat and build muscle because you hate yourself or whatever. Use it as a way to connect to your body and feel sensations and 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 reconnect with living from the neck down it's simple as that simple as that so shout out to all of my uh friends family listeners out there who drive around with their check engine light on have 27 voicemails left in their uh their inbox check yourself before you wreck yourself if anyone has any questions for you or wants to learn more about your services where's the best place that they can connect with you easiest way to connect with me um, because I'm on there pretty frequently uh, on Instagram at thoughtful meathead. And you can also check out my website, write extensively on there as well. PKHealth.ca. Awesome. I will link all those up in our show notes so that you guys can access them there. And Pat, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. I am so grateful. No, thanks for having me on. That was a really fun chat. And uh, like I said, if I can tell people about all of these things that I have learned then at the very least, my situation has gone from tragedy 
to at least a comedy. Thank you for joining me on this adventure today. If you're interested in learning more about holistic health or have topics that you'd like to hear on the show, connect with me over on Instagram at Quest for Wholeness Podcast. That's all one word, Quest for Wholeness Podcast. I'll see you next time to continue our shared quest for wholeness.